Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church celebrates the Feast of the Ascension of Jesus Christ into Heaven. Turn to the first reading. We hear the very beginning of Acts of the Apostles. We could say this is a synopsis of the feast that we celebrate today. Now remember, the author of Acts of the Apostles is also the author of the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke himself. Now, Luke intentionally wrote his Gospel as well as the Acts of the Apostles to be read together. You could say as one novel. The first part of the novel is the Gospel of Luke, which deals with the life of Christ, his birth, his ministry, his mission, his miracles, his passion, death, and resurrection. The second part of his novel is Acts of the Apostles, which deals with the life of the church, the conception of the church at Pentecost, and the early first decades of our church. You know, in some ways, Acts of the Apostles is a, a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Now, notice how the first reading begins. In the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus had taught. Well, the first book that he's referencing here is his Gospel. Now, as Acts opens up, it appears that Luke is specifically addressing this book to a person named Theophilus. Now realize, this wasn't uncommon for affluent benefactors to support the apostles as well as the disciples, to give them money for expenses when they're traveling, for food, lodging, so the apostles wouldn't be preoccupied with the expenses for their church. Also remember, the Bible was originally written in Greek. Now, if you take this word Theophilus in Greek and translate it to English, it means beloved of God. And so, Acts of the Apostles isn't necessarily addressed to one person as it is addressed to all of us. We are all the beloved of God. We are all lovers of God. So immediately, Luke reaches out and grabs our attention from the very first sentence of his book, the Acts of the Apostles. Next, Luke addresses the resurrection. It says, He, being Jesus, presented himself by many proofs. Well, now Luke is laying out the argument of proving the resurrection of Christ was true. Now realize, during Luke's time, many of the Jews tried to dissuade people from believing in the resurrection. They wanted to make sure the people believed that Jesus' body was moved, that he never really was risen from the dead, and therefore he is not the Messiah. But Luke is going out and proving that in the very beginning of Acts. First, the empty tomb. Next, Jesus' appearance to the apostles, even though the doors were locked. Next, Thomas examines Jesus' wounds. In 1 Corinthians, it says that Jesus appeared to 500 people simultaneously. 
Now, I think the best evidence is Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Here you have Paul, the fiercest adversary, the enemy of our church, and now he's converted to Christianity because he saw, he witnessed, and was in the presence of the risen Lord. And so you can't deny all this evidence. You can't deny the resurrection. Next, Luke, he says that Jesus appeared to the apostles for 40 days. Now, why this odd detail? Who cares how many days he appeared with his apostles? Well, Luke includes this because it's a period of preparation for the apostles before they begin their mission. Now, it's a basic biblical truth. You know, people, when they're called by God beforehand, they need a period of preparation before they are ready, before they can carry out God's will. I'll give you some examples. Moses, after seeing a fellow Jew being mistreated by an Egyptian official, he becomes enraged and he kills that Egyptian official and then flees into the desert. And he remains there for many years before God calls him to be the leader of the Israelites and lead them out of slavery in Egypt. Elijah, he walks for 40 days and 40 nights before he finally reaches Mount Sinai where he encounters God. Just look at Paul himself. On that road to Damascus, he meets the last person he ever thought he would meet, the risen Christ. And now his life has changed forever. And yet, he doesn't immediately join the apostles. No, just the opposite. He flees into the Arabian desert and spends three years there before he finally joins the apostles. Well, Jesus, he is now with his apostles for 40 days. And it's a time of final preparation for the apostles, for them to continue the mission, as well as to build the church. When you stop and think, we as a church, we continue that same tradition. When people come to our church requesting to receive any of the sacraments, we always tell them that they need to have a period of preparation for them to receive these sacraments. Take an engaged couple. When they come to the church, the church tells them that it's going to take them six to eight months to be prepared to receive the sacrament of marriage. And it's not just preparing them for the ceremony itself, but more importantly, for a life together. Look at parents. When they bring their child to be baptized, we ask them to participate in baptismal prep classes so that they can recognize and believe in the importance of the sacrament, as well as their duties as parents. Look at second graders and confirmation students in high school. You know, we ask them to prepare themselves over a period of time, and not just catechetical work, but also retreats, so that they're ready to receive their sacraments. Now, we do this not to be a burden to these people, but instead for them to fathom the magnitude of the sacraments they are about to receive and how the sacraments awaken in us our response to Christ's presence in our life. Next in the story, Jesus tells the apostles they are to receive the Holy Spirit. Through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostles will now accomplish the work of establishing our church in the world. Now remember last week, we learned about how the Holy Spirit, for centuries on end, has moved in and through our church, 
renewing it, always under the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now next, at the end, Jesus ascends back into heaven. Now, I like this little detail. It says, two angels appeared, and they said to the apostles, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will return in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven. Now, why do they say this to the apostles? Well, what we have to realize, at the ascension, the work of the church begins. Precisely when Jesus left, you could say he cleared the room for now the apostles and the Holy Spirit to continue the work and the mission of Jesus Christ. And that's what they need to do. Instead of just staring up at the sky, they need to get to work. They need to now engage the world. And I think that's exactly what the angels are saying to the apostles. But notice the juxtaposition. This is a good message for us all. We always need to keep our eyes fixated on the goal, which is heaven. But at the same time, we can't say, well, I'm going to be concerned about heaven and I'm just going to not care about the world or even have apathy towards the world. I don't care about it at all. No. In fact, it's just the opposite. The more we keep our eye fixated on the goals, the more we're motivated to now go out into the world and live out our faith and continue the work of Jesus Christ in this world. I think that's the message that the angels are saying to the apostles and us. Now, a few more things about the ascension. When Jesus ascends back into heaven, it's not one in which he goes up into the air and he's essentially assumed into the cosmos. He's somewhere in the universe. That's not true. Jesus, through his ascension, is now ascending into a different dimension from us. We have to realize that in this world, we are governed by specific things. We're governed by time, space, gravity. We can't escape those things. And yet, when Jesus rose from the dead, time and space and gravity no longer applied to him. That's why he was able to appear to the apostles behind locked doors. That's why he appeared to 500 people simultaneously. Jesus, his ascension is into another dimension, the dimension of heaven. Another thing that we can take from the, the ascension is the, really the ascension is the culmination of Jesus' mission. From the beginning of his birth, continuing on through his resurrection. When Jesus was born, he didn't leave his divinity behind in heaven. Instead, when he was born, he was born fully divine and fully human. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't leave his humanity behind in the tomb. Instead, he rose with his divine nature and human nature fully intact. Well, the same thing holds true now when he ascends back into heaven with his humanity and divinity. Through Jesus Christ, you could say human nature now resides within heaven where it never has before. Heaven has now accommodated itself to receive humanity. And so, yes, this is definitely a celebration for Jesus Christ, but it's also a celebration for us. Jesus has carved out for us a path that never existed before, a path that we too, hopefully one day, will follow 
and walk ourselves. And see, this is the reason why we go to Mass every week, why we pray every day, why we engage a lifestyle of stewardship, as well as volunteering at our parish. All of our hopes and all of our dreams have now become a reality because of Jesus Christ's ascension into heaven. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.